Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins. Welcome back to another episode of the ACN Podcast, the official podcast of Australian College of Nursing. On today's episode, I spoke with Emily Ragus. Emily is a highly experienced critical care retrieval nurse who has worked with Life Flight on both their fixed wing and rotary wing aircraft, has done a lot of work with Ausmat, and is a Winston Churchill Fellow. Emily has done some incredible things throughout her career, and I certainly know I came away inspired by our conversation, and I'm pretty sure you will too. So I hope you enjoy today's episode with Emily Ragus. Hi, Emily, and welcome to the ACN Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. No, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm incredibly excited to learn everything about the world of retrieval nursing. It's certainly an area that I know sparks a lot of interest among young nurses, uh, especially anything to do with critical care retrieval. So with your wealth of knowledge and experience within like life flights and your work with Ausmat, I'm sure there's going to be a lot to take away from today's episode. Yeah, fantastic. So Emily, the first thing I like to do with guests coming on the ACN podcast, which again, the whole intent of this podcast is to be able to highlight nursing and midwifery leaders during year of the nurse and midwife. I'd like to start off today by getting a bit more of an understanding of how you entered the world of nursing. Yeah, so I was actually um, the first person in my family to go to university. And from quite a young age, I was really interested in healthcare. I was interested in the like interpersonal relationship that happens between a nurse as well as um, their role within the community and their patients. Um, so I started off doing a double degree um, with nursing and public health, Queensland University of Technology. And um, I soon realised uh, that it was really the nursing side of it that I was most interested in. So I, I sort of dropped the second degree and continued with um, straight nursing um, and then ended up finishing that degree and going on to do my um, first year as a nurse uh, at the Royal Brisbane in the intensive care unit. And how did you find that? Because I know, like, as I've spoken to in my last podcast before I started this one, just uh, talking all about the experience of starting off in ICU, was that always something that you wanted to do or start straight away within intensive care? What was the, the rationale behind that? Um, I think that my personality is naturally drawn to that sort of high-intensity area. Um, I found with starting in ICU, I was extremely well supported. However, I think it was the subtleties of the stress that started to weigh on me as a new grad. So I remember actually having um, quite regular dreams where I, I, I could hear a crackling noise and it was actually just the um, tap in the bathroom dripping, but I thought it was my patient going to grab their tube. And mm. Anybody that's worked in ICU knows that's a huge no-no. Right. <laughs> so, so I know that I had pretty restless nights for that first sort of six months until I kind of got used to the team and became comfortable with being able to ask questions and, and sort of get to know my environment. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a, a, a difficult transition period. And then I understand that you went from intensive care and then switched over to be an emergency nurse. What sparked that sort of change? Yeah, um, so I um, actually moved overseas. I spent um, about two years travelling and I actually went throughout India, Southeast Asia and then across the Trans-Siberian Railway. Um, and during that time, I got to experience quite a few quite emergent situations. I was in Mongolia and um, I witnessed a guy drowning 
and then we sort of as a group pulled him out of the um out of the lake and did CPR and and I sort of realized that as much as I had amazing skills from a critical care perspective from ICU I'd sort of missed some of the basic stuff that you learn in emergency Mm. Um, and I also realized that I work well um, in an environment where you don't know what's going to happen next and so that's why um, I felt that my capabilities were a lot stronger in emergency so when I got back I actually spent six months um, doing rural and remote nursing in in, um, Western Australia and then came back and did um, emergency nursing so I I definitely love emergency nursing and I've got a strong passion for it and it's it's effectively where I've remained for the rest of my career and how did you find that transition from intensive care to emergency I know personally I found it quite I guess difficult to start with you come from such a structured environment which is intensive care and then going into such a dynamic environment which is emergency Um, what was your experiences from that yeah well I think if you um, met my colleagues who first met me in emergency they'd say I was incredibly slow Um, so I think I think juggling the actual dynamic movement that goes on within an emergency department is something that you sort of need to train your brain to understand Um, but it I think that I had a really good foundation because I'd had that time to sort of consolidate things in ICU and then bring that knowledge into the emergency department Um, and I just had to learn I had to learn to be quicker and I had to learn to be I think there's that saying where ICU is up here for thinking and ED is down here for dancing. Um, and I think that that's what, what I needed to do was just become quicker. And it, it was a transition likewise, like going into ICU to get into that ability to do that uh, effectively and appropriately as well. Now, once you've started gaining some experience within emergency after coming off all of that experience in ICU, what was the next step in your career? Um, so I had been working in um, the Royal Brisbane in the emergency department for about five years and I was really keen for the next challenge. Um, and at the time, Lifelight were looking at introducing nurses onto the helicopters. So um, I put my hand up and applied for the position and it was actually extremely gruelling. The um, process to get onto the helicopters was really hard so you effectively had uh, initial interview and then you had uh, the consultants who were both military ED and ICU Uh, they did scenarios and I think there was about eight or so scenarios that you had to go through Um, and then after each scenario um, you then had to talk about where you did well what you didn't do well and the assessor just remained silent And so then after you had um, passed that area, um, they then made us do um, the helicopter, the Hewitt training, so the underwater emergency training. Um, And that for me was a really full on, like hopping into the fake helicopter when it's turning upside down in the water um, and using, you know, sort of being blindfolded and not sure which door you can open and it was very challenging and it was quite different to obviously working in an emergency department. So um, that was my transition um, onto the helicopters. What was the, what sparked your interest in wanting to, to hop onto helicopters? Um, I think that I love country Australia and I've got a real passion to bring tertiary level healthcare to the bush. 
um, having worked as a remote area nurse, I, I knew that there was a, a natural disadvantage just by the size of our country. And um, I, I do believe that healthcare is a right um, and that everybody should have equal access to it. So working for Lifelike gave me that opportunity to be able to deliver a service that um, normally people in that area wouldn't be able to have. And I, and I was passionate about that. Um, so that was sort of the initial push to try and get onto the helicopters and, and, and get into the outback. Now, I asked a question to Helen Zahos when she was on, who's a very good uh, like uh, disaster response nurse. Mm-hmm. And the question I asked was all got to do with after all this experience that she had, when she started on the ground overseas in different countries nursing, whether she felt ready. Now, I'd like to get your perspective on this one as well. Like when you came in, you've got all this ICU and ED experience. When you step onto the chopper for the first time, how did you find it? Did you feel with all those experiences that you're well prepared? Yeah, I think, look, I'm really proud of the way LifeLight um, does a tra- their transition program. So they do a two-week intensive program where they sort of hammer you with different scenarios from, you know, sort of psychological issues that, you, that might arise to uh, different aspects of nursing that you wouldn't normally be able to do. So uh, finger thoracostomies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also talked about sleep fatigue and how that affects you and what you need to do and how you can be prepared for that. So um, I believe that Lifelight really gave me a really good grounding um, so that when I had that first mission, um, I, I felt like I was prepared when I got there. But I think it's, you know, it's a slow burn being in a helicopter because you're sort of, you strap in, you fly off, and then you've got maybe half an hour to an hour and a half sitting in the back wondering what you're actually going to see. Um, so that's always that that area is difficult and you've got to really um, think about your knowledge calm your brain and make sure that you're prepared once you arrive now for those who have never really heard or looked into something like life flight and the, and the role that you're doing as a like a flight nurse what does the typical team look like in a, in a response to a patient so you've got yourself as a registered nurse who else is on board yeah so um, the helicopter that I worked on was Rescue 533 and so we had two pilots so we had a captain and a co-pilot who would obviously sit at the front and then at the back you had a doctor who was generally either ICU trained anesthetics or ED and then me so the actual team is tiny the the Mm. clinical team is just two people um, however, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to get a pilot to step in and help do CPR on someone, um, you know, if we needed an extra set of hands. Um, but you needed to be pretty good at uh, being a jack of all trades when you work on a helicopter. Hmm, absolutely. And so what were some of the highlights of your career working with LifeLight so far? Um, I got to I got to do some really amazing work with the Queensland Children's Hospital. So um, obviously we fly um, onto the, the the top of the Queensland Children's Hospital quite regularly, and they actually have a school that's attached um, to the hospital that that overlooks a helipad. So you know there's a lot of kids um, who have got chronic illnesses um, who actually have to go to school there. 
Um, and I got the opportunity to go in to the school and talk about my work and then get interviewed um, by one of the cystic fibrosis girls. Um, and she sat down and we had like an amazing time and really bonded over, you know, shared experiences. Um, so for me, even though that was obviously not a clinical side of it, because there's only a few nurses that work on the helicopters, you are part of the community and you need to um, make, make sure that the community is aware that you're there and that you're there to support them. And I felt like that was a really good opportunity for me to do that. Now, on top of your role with Life Flight, you've also been heavily involved with the Australian Medical Assistant Teams, so OSMAT. What yeah. sort of brought you into that area as well, who's mostly got to do with repatriation from overseas? Yeah, so um, in 2016, I was asked by Lifelight, who also have jets, and they, so they do some international repatriation. So I was asked to go to a mass casualty event that was happening or had happened in Vanuatu that involved a lot of Australian citizens. So I went over there um, and when I was there, not only did I really enjoy the disaster response and preparedness that was happening on the island because it is quite full on, you know, they're a developing country with minimal services and then you've got 20 planes all flying in with, you know, high-level care um, from Australia bombarding the airstrip and then you've, you've still got one person who's trying to maintain um, control, command and control over that entire situation. Um, so I, um, that sort of really sparked my love of disaster management. Um, and from there I came back and actually applied for the disaster liaison clinical nurse consultant job with the health disaster management unit. Uh, so I was really fortunate to get that position um, and that position I was able to work underneath Dr Peter Aitken who um, is in charge of Osmat Queensland and I was um, one of the coordinators for Osmat Queensland um, and I, I really believe that Osmat does an amazing service and they're a really incredible bunch of people so I was really lucky to, to have had that opportunity. Absolutely. And what's going to be coming up for you regarding OSMAT into the future or even with LifeLight now? What, what's the next step in your career that way? So um, not long after um, I did that international repatriation, I actually applied for the Winston Churchill mm. Fellowship and, um, and I ended up being awarded that. So I won the National Critical Care and Trauma Response Centre um, Winston Churchill Fellowship uh, in 2018. Um, so in 2019, I actually um, travelled to New York and I studied a diploma of humanitarian assistance. Um, from there, I went over to Europe and I spent three months working and researching in different UN agencies um, from WHO to UNHAS to WFP um, and UNHCR and UNICEF. So I got to sort of see it all from a disaster management perspective from a really broad section of multiple different agencies. And then I was really lucky to meet um, Dr. Helge Bronstum, who is the medical director for the Swedish National Air Medivac Service. Um, so he invited me to come to Sweden and I, I was really fortunate. I got to work um, get fly-alongs on a lot of their machines, um, both fixed wing and helicopter, as well as their search and rescue teams. Um, and so from there, 
I came back to Australia and then I got invited by Fordham University to be one of their tutors for their International Diploma of Humanitarian Assistance, but in Geneva. Um, so at the end of 2019, I spent um, five weeks in Geneva teaching on this course. And at the end of it, I got invited by the International Committee of the Red Cross to come back and um, actually work for them. So all that sort of happened at the end of 2019 and the start of 2020, which, you know, is at the same time that, that COVID has started. Um, so I managed to get rid of my car and sell all my belongings. Um, but then I've been sitting on call for the last um, almost five months um, on a 24-hour call-out roster. So, yeah, so hopefully I will get overseas, but otherwise I'm staying. Um, I'm still part of the Ausmat roster because I still work for Queensland Health. Um, and I'm just sort of waiting around to see what will go next with me being able to leave the country. Absolutely. Oh, that, I'm just blown away by the sort of experiences that you've had non-stop. You've just gone from one thing to the next and all such exciting opportunities. And I love hearing that because it's really showing the diversity within our roles as registered nurses. Spoken to yeah. all different leaders within our field in all of these different areas, whether it's from research or disaster response or now talking to yourself when it comes to critical care retrievals and heading overseas and, and, and disaster response as well. I think it's so much in, in regards to, to, to the world of nursing. Absolutely. What's been, what's been some of the, the challenges in, involved with uh, working within such a high-stress environment? What are the, some things that you do in order to overcome stressful situations? Um, I think, you know, there's always that accumulated stress that occurs um, with working in such high-level situations. You know, I've seen... And, and a lot of nurses have seen, you know, horrific traumas and terrible burns and paediatric deaths. And, you know, there's a lot of cumulative effects of that. So I'm, I'm very strong on making sure that my, um, I, I have the ability to try and work through that and be open to my body when, you know, I'm experiencing quite high levels of stress so I do the usual things like I I tend to meditate um and I will do yoga quite regularly and and do lots of exercise but I also um you know I I enjoy just blobbing out in front of Netflix and 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 doing the things that just stop my brain um and I and I think that you know for me that's really helpful but I think everybody has their own challenges when they when they do go into such a high stress position I've found for myself I have the most difficulty when I'm dealing with a scenario that like, could, would likely happen to either myself or one of my friends. Um, and in that, in that situation, if I find that there's sort of residual issues associated with that, that patient, I have been known to go and have a chat to a counsellor um, or debrief with friends to try and make sure that, you know, I'm working through what, what I did um, in that scenario and that making sure I know that I did it to the best of my ability. Hmm. If you were speaking to yourself now, looking back after all these years of experience, what's, what's something that you would tell yourself now that you wouldn't have otherwise have known about the role that you're doing? Something about working within life flights or working within critical care retrieval nursing, what's something that people may not know about that role? Um, I think that I would have told myself that nurse, in nursing you can be really passionate about your position 
you can be, you can, you've got the opportunity to walk into so many different areas of nursing that there is an area out there for every single nurse that they're passionate about. So I sort of feel like, you know, the first few years of my career, I, I was really unsure if that was even what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I got um, into the helicopters that I realised, yeah, you know, I actually really enjoy helping people. I really am passionate about this area. Um, and I'm really glad that I took the opportunities to do this. Um, so I, I'm really, I really believe that you know, a lot of nurses can kind of be stagnated um, and they need to realise that they're such a huge part of every team um, and they're the heart of the hospital. Um, and through that, you can really overcome challenges in different situations and, and become very innovative. And I think as a profession, we, we need to become more innovative and more understanding. And slowly, slowly, I believe that we're, we're getting there. Um, even culturally, I think from a cultural perspective, um, that there has been a huge shift in the last probably five to ten years where uh, behaviour that used to be appropriate is no longer. And from that, we're creating a new, a new sort of group of nurses that I'm really proud to work alongside. And so my final question today, Emily, is have we had someone listening along who was exceptionally driven in terms of trying to get to the same area that you're working in now, which is all to do with rotary wing, fixed wing, working on the helicopters and and, uh, and critical care retrieval, what, what, would you, what advice would you provide to them and to try to get to where you are right now? So the one thing I did when I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do was I went on LinkedIn and I recommend this to everybody is go on to LinkedIn and basically get lost in it. So forget about your Instagram for five minutes and, and get lost into LinkedIn and see what jobs are out there because you'll be really surprised um, what nurses manage to do and where they go and what, they, what they're interested in. You know, I've got friends who are nurses who work for the United Nations, who work for KPMG, who do um, management of tiny little remote hospitals in the middle of nowhere. You know, they, there is a, a world of things out there for a nurse to do, but you need to actually seek it out. So if you're really interested in retrievals and that's something that you want to do, I believe that you need to go and look at the career paths of people that you are motivated by and um, and get on board and start start doing the courses that they have done and and um, you know look at the postgraduate qualifications and and get that varied experience. Um, I often will have people contact me who are interested in retrievals, but they may have only done you know one or two years in a tertiary hospital. Um, however, if you if you then go on and you go out to the outback and you get that huge varied level of experience, including paediatrics, you can then come back and and do some uh, like other work that might not necessarily be what you had originally planned, but you've got a wealth of experience now to back you as well. Um, so yeah, if you really are interested in retrievals, I think seek out those people, contact them and everybody's really willing to share their knowledge as well. This isn't a, a closed group. It's, it's a thing where people want, um, to talk about their experiences and how they got there and, and the lessons that they learned. And I believe that because of that, it makes us a really, um, great group of people working in this sort of disaster area 
um, and it's a small cohort. So it's, it's easy to find those ones. Emily Regis, thank you very much for your time today for being on the ACN podcast. No, thank you. Thanks for having me.